Hello out there to everyone, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. This is Mark Ice, your host. And I would first like to apologize for the long hiatus. I had some technical issues, had an issue with my mic. I've received a new one. It's an upgrade, and it sounds like my sound quality should be far better with this mic than it was with my previous mic. I was getting away with a pretty low-end computer mic that wasn't suitable for recording podcasts for a while and I was able to do well enough I guess to get enough sound quality where people could understand me and it wouldn't be bothersome to listen to but I also understand that it wasn't up to the standards of a of what a podcast should be for people to be able to listen to it clearly in their cars so I think this mic should be a big upgrade and should go a long way hopefully toward making this podcast far more professional, easier to listen to on your commute or you know wherever you may listen to podcasts. So because of my hiatus, I'm going to have to synthesize what's happened in the season up to this point. You know, Rather than talking about one or two particular games, instead I'm going to have to talk about the first eight games of the season and you know where I see it going, what are the good things that have come out of it, what are the bad things that have come out of it. Uh, so the Sabres right now are seeing it 3-3-2. Three, three, point percentage, you know, not on a playoff pace as of this point, a tenth of the way through the season. Uh, But I'm cautiously optimistic at this point. They're they're on a two-game winning streak after the first six games of the season. I think anybody, very few people would have said this was a playoff team or that this team would really even be in the thick of the playoff race. It looked like, okay, we're probably not going to see much improvement upon a year ago. And I understand that they're missing Jack Eichel, missing Evander Kane, two of their most important forwards up front. But at the same time, this team wasn't playing well enough without them to think that adding those two back in would make this a playoff team. You know, you would think they're not going to play at a good enough pace to kind of stick around in the race until those two get back. So it's really impossible to think this is a playoff team. I still don't think this is a playoff team. And I know that people have people have gotten pretty excited after these two wins, and yes, they have looked good. And I'm cautiously optimistic about Dan Bilesma. I've been blasting him on Twitter if you follow me on there. Um, I've been very critical of his system, and I think a lot of fans have been relying far too much on the stress pass or the stretch pass not having tighter, more controlled breakouts because they don't have the players for the system that he seems to want to run. He want he seems to want to run a more dump-and-chase type of system. But the Sabres just don't have the forwards that get in on the forecheck quite like I think you would need to play that system most effectively. But I think what he started to do is started to use his personnel better. So they've stopped relying on the stretch pass. I think you've seen you've seen fewer icings throughout the course of the game, You know, fewer intercepted long stretch passes because they're not attempting them at the same rate that they have before. It's still part of... You know, still part of their system. They haven't gone completely away from it, but I think they've started to realize where our strength is is down the middle. And yes, without Jack Eichel in the lineup, it's less of a strength. But still, you know, you've Ryan O'Reilly, one of the top two-way centers in the league. Um, Sam Reinhart is playing center, uh, and you—he's one of this team's top forwards up front. When Eichel gets back, you have another top-flight center. Johan Larson has had a, a nice start to the season, I think. I think uh, the advanced statistics don't do him justice, but I think he's he's done a very nice job, probably playing above above his head, really 
he's playing a role he shouldn't be playing, but I think he's filled that role pretty well thus far. But this team's strength is down the middle. That's the strongest part of the roster, and you want a system that's going to to accent those strengths. And I don't think what Bilesmo was doing to start the season was doing that. The, the dump and chase system wasn't working. First of all, you're missing your top forward on the forecheck, Evander Kane. So in a dump and chase system, Evander Kane becomes paramount to your success. So without him, you lose your top forechecker and and your player most suited for the system that Bilesmo wants to run. And what do good coaches do? Good coaches adjust to the personnel that they have. What do average and poor coaches do? They have one particular system that they run, and they ram it down players' throats whether or not those players are best suited for that type of system. But I'm cautiously optimistic that Biosma has learned his lesson, has adjusted, and, th- and that's why we've seen good outcomes the prior two games. The team looks faster. Um, it looks more energized, and I... I don't think that's a coincidence. I think when you have a system that's working well and that fits your players' strengths better, they're going to look faster. They're going to look more engaged because they're they're more effective. And hockey is such a game of momentum where success at one one end of the ice leads to, to leads to success at the other end of the ice. It's a very emotional game too, so momentum carries its way through the entire course of a game. So having a system that's working leads to players skating harder and looking like they're they're moving more. And I think that's what we've seen throughout these last couple games. Still, though, why I don't think this is a playoff team. So like I said, I've become more cautiously optimistic about Bilesma. I don't think that he's the coach that will lead this team to a Stanley Cup. I think he's gotten outmatched far too much in his career to be a Stanley Cup winning coach. Uh, unless this roster is just heads and shoulders above what other teams have to offer. But in a in a league with such parity like the NHL, it's kind of a pipe dream for that to happen, that the Sabres are just going to have that much better of a roster than, than anyone, anyone else where they can just go with an average coach and win a Stanley Cup. I just don't see that happening. But I'm more cautiously optimistic that he's at least average. You know, at the beginning of the year, I was thinking, this guy is a below-average coach. You know, he needs to go immediately. Now I'm a little bit back off the ledge, and I think, okay, maybe he can have the rest of the season, see how he adjusts, and see if they can keep up this level of play. But I still do think ultimately they're going to need to bring in another coach to lead them to the promised land. If if the goal really is to bring a Stanley Cup to Buffalo, they will need to hire a different coach, in my opinion. But who I still have a problem with is... Tim Murray and I think the honeymoon period is finally worn off for Tim Murray and more and more people are starting to criticize him this is the first year with real expectations for him up to this point really it's, first it was about collecting assets the last couple of years it's been about okay how do we cash in on those assets made some big moves some good some bad uh, but now there are some expectations the team is expected to be in the playoff race and I think when you don't see them as a surefire playoff team, people start to ask questions. And especially with that first with those first six games of the season, you started to think, has Murray done a good job? And I've I've I graded him on this offseason and I've talked about his prior moves. So I'm not gonna go into a, a huge long synopsis of, of what he's done and and what my evaluation is of him. But as for this season, I think we're seeing 
a pattern emerge with him. And it's been this way since he came into the organization. But he is not good at addressing depth on this team. And he has not been since he came to the Sabres. The, the, the Americans have been consistently bad. Part of that is not hiring good coaches down in Rochester. Uh, it seems like they're hiring more yes-men than actual effective coaches down in Rochester. But a bigger part of that is not addressing depth throughout the organization. And this year, they've only used 43 contract slots, so you have 50 in total. So they have seven free slots. And what do they have right now? They have Casey Nelson is the seventh defenseman up in Buffalo. All the defensemen are healthy. So he's been just rotting away in the press box, whereas he's waiver-exempt. And really, this is this is his first full professional season. Ideally, he should be playing down in Rochester. He should be a rock down there getting a ton of minutes this year, hopefully ready to step up next year into a bigger role with the Sabres, maybe step into the third pairing. Cody Franson's going to be gone, so ideally Nelson would be ready to step into that spot next year. But instead, he has to fill the seventh defenseman role because the defensive depth throughout this organization is so poor. It's either Casey Nelson up here or it's a fringe NHL guy or a guy that shouldn't be in the NHL, like a Justin Falk or an Eric Bergdorfer one of these types of players who are really AHL vets and shouldn't be 7th defensemen. Those should be your 8th and ninth defensemen. You know, it would be one thing if they were at 48 contract slots. And I understand wanting to keep 2 or 3 for flexibility in case you want to make trades or to sign a college free agent at the end of the year. But they have these contract slots available. And there were a lot of veterans out there looking for jobs this year and looking for jobs late into the offseason and even into training camp. Dennis Seidenberg was a, a guy that I had kind of pushed as hopefully maybe they could bring him in on a, on a fair deal. Uh, Chris Russell was also out there. I know he was a little more expensive, and the Sabres would have had difficulty fitting him under the cap. But there were options out there, and then even there were there were a couple guys waived. One guy I remembered, I tweeted about this, but uh, Matthias Backman, who came up through the Red Wings organization, I think he deserves a shot as a seventh defenseman. I mean, he he just as much deserves a shot as Casey Nelson does. He's proven more at the professional level than Casey Nelson has. And there's not really a cap difference. Say you claimed Backman. Okay, you've added a contract. Now you can send Casey Nelson down. And now you've improved depth. You've given Rochester more ammo, somebody who should be probably their number one defenseman or a top-pairing defenseman at the very least and should be a power play threat at the AHL level. And you've now pushed everybody else down one spot on the depth chart. So instead of Justin Falk being your eighth defenseman, now he's your ninth defenseman. Instead of Eric Bergdorfer being your ninth defenseman, now he's your tenth defenseman. You know, you tend to use eight or nine throughout the course of the year at the least because of injuries. So adding more depth would have been fantastic. And it's a bigger issue for this organization on the back end. But it's also an issue up front. And you see... Hudson Fashing having to fill a role right off the right off the bat, and I've liked some of what I've seen from him, but I would prefer for him to be in the AHL once again, getting top minutes down there, and hopefully ready to step into a bigger role later this year or next year. And then when injuries have happened, you know Nick Delorier gets hurt, and now Nick Baptiste is the one to get called up, which I like seeing young guys get call ups. I don't think they should all be sitting in the AHL indefinitely but you could have had more veterans to choose from. 
And I don't think Nick Nick Delorier should be on this roster at all. He certainly shouldn't be one of the 12 forwards playing every night. And I know when Eichel and Kane get back, that pushes Delorier likely to a 13th or 14th forward role. But there were clear upgrades to Delorier out there on the waiver wire. And there have been quite a few throughout the course of the year, too. You know, Timu Polkanen's been on waivers twice. Uh, Martin Furk is now on waivers again. Um... Magnus Payarvi was out there, and none of these are world beaters. None of these are guys that are going to make the difference between the Sabres making the playoffs and missing it. But it could be the difference between Rochester being good and Rochester being decimated all year, which I think is what we're already seeing happening and what is going to ultimately happen to Rochester. And I feel bad for the fans of the Amherst, and I feel bad for the prospects that are there because ultimately having a winning organization, it's not just about the NHL team winning. Winning organizations have a good minor league team as well. You know, maybe not every year, but more often than not, they're having quality players cycling up to the system. They, they know how to fill depth throughout their organization, and a big part of that is signing vets to fill those extra slots on the roster at the NHL level and to fill AHL vet roles. And I just think Murray has done a horrendous job overall doing that throughout his time with the Sabres. I do have to give Murray credit, though, while I'm on the topic of him for the Kyle Oposo signing. He has been a tremendous addition. He's looked like he and Ryan O'Reilly have played together for years. They look like a match made in heaven. Uh, And this already is looking like the best free agent signing in Sabres history. Not that there's huge competition for that. I mean, some of the biggest free agents in Sabres history leading up to this point were... Teppo Newman, Yaro Spachek, Christian Erhoff. Uh, so it's not like it's not like Oposo has huge competition, but I liked the contract at the time, being able to watch a good amount of Oposo over the last couple years, and he's become a pretty consistent, high-level player with the Islanders, but he's fit in seamlessly. And it's so great to have another goal-scoring threat on the wing. It, it still is a big weakness for this team, and I think that's why you saw... Alex Nylander being the first-round selection for the Sabres last year because it's still identified as a major problem. And they're still counting on a lot of question marks to cobble together decent play at the wing. You know, you're relying on Matt Molson to continue to play the way he has, and he has played very well to start the season. He's actually looked quite good at even strength. And I think the most that the, the best that most of us hoped for was for Molson to just be competent on the power play and not be a huge liability at even strength. But he's been an asset on the power play and competent at even strength, which has been a great surprise. And you're also relying on Tyler Ennis, who obviously coming into this year with his concussion issues was a big question mark. But he has also looked much better. It looks like he's shaken off the rust, and he's starting to look like the player that that we saw during during the tank years where he was – one of the very few offensive threats this team had, and he actually played pretty well overall in that role. So I think those two guys have stepped up and it's contributed to this team being better at scoring to the power play, being good once again. Um, The power play and penalty kill right now are both seventh in the NHL, uh, so well above average in both categories. And that's really why the Sabres have been able to tread waters due to special teams play. They haven't been very good at even strength, but a good power play and a good penalty kill 
can keep you around in the league for a while. And usually having those two things is enough to be at least a contender for the playoffs, if not be in, be in playoff position. Uh, but Oposo's been huge, and I expect him to continue to be huge. Obviously, they're going to be streaks, they're going to be up, ups and downs, but this looks like a tremendous addition, and to be able to, to have him locked up long-term at a pretty fair cost is really nice to have. Uh, Felino, Larson, Gianta, they've once again emerged as a line. They weren't together consistently to start the year or during preseason or anything, but they've come back together. They were arguably the Sabres' best line down the stretch last year. Kind of They emerged as a line, and then Kane, Eichel, Reinhardt also emerged as a line. But really that, uh, that Felino, Larson, Gianta line emerged as a shutdown type of line when the Sabres badly needed and they were a huge part of that nice run to end the season last year. They've once again come out, looked pretty similar. This is a, a good third line and they're being relied on at, in some games almost more like a second line which is more than you would ideally hope and part of that is why I think you see they don't look great in terms of advanced statistics but watching them on the ice they're, they're relentless uh, they are a good forechecking line, and they do well against good players, at least better than you would expect. They're they're better than the sum of their parts. Um, and Brian Giantos looked energized recently. I already talked about Johan Larson. And Marcus Foligno, yes, he's going to have his ups and downs, but I think he's finally figured out, okay, this is my niche as being that third, fourth line type of winger. Now, I don't know if he's in the Sabres' long-term plans or not because I think he's prob- probably going to be too expensive for what he actually brings to the table, and he still has too many stretches where I get a little fed up with him. But I think now you're seeing th- the good is outweighing the bad, where he two years ago had far more stretches where he just was invisible. You know, he would be invisible for 10 games and maybe be visible for three and now it's it's more like the inverse. Rasmus Ristolainen also has been a huge part of the Sabres playing far better over the last couple of games versus the first six. I think he's shaken off the rust, and understandably it takes time to get back to game speed and everything, and he didn't really have any time in, in preseason to do that because he didn't sign until the last minute. So I think you're starting to see the the Rasmus Ristolainen that we all know that we saw for most of last year he had some stretches of poor play down the stretch he wasn't great I think he wore down just due to the the huge number of minutes he was playing uh, similar thing happened to Ryan O'Reilly last year because they were just leaned on so heavily uh, but he started to look great and I think really to take even the next step beyond how he's looked the last couple of games Josh Georges cannot be his partner. And I respect Georges. I like what he's done throughout his career, and I think he still has a spot in the NHL as a third-pairing guy playing 15, 16 minutes a night. But he should not be playing next to your stud number one defenseman when you have other options. And they now have Jake McCabe playing down with Cody Franson and kind of carrying that pairing. But if if you want Kulikov and Bogosian to be a pairing, and that makes sense, I think I thought, and a lot of other people thought as well that Kulikov was brought in to be Ristolainen's partner and then you'd see McCabe and Bogosian again but I think Kulikov and Bogosian make sense in terms of their skill sets meshing 
but Jake McCabe should be that partner for Ristolainen. And we haven't seen that, and I, I would like to see it because I think McCabe can bring far more to that pairing. And then you can have Georges and Franson play relatively low-pressure, low-impact minutes. And now you have what looks like could be a real top-four defense. But right now they don't have that. I I think Georges holds Ristolainen back. Ristolainen's got to carry Georges in a lot of ways. And I think replacing him with, you know, even Jake McCabe, you can make the argument he's not a true top four defenseman yet. He's still developing. But I think we've seen all the flashes, or all the flashes that we've seen lead us to believe that he, if he isn't already a top four defenseman, he's going to be a top four defenseman very soon. But I don't think he's going to get there playing with Cody Franson on the third pairing. I think you put him with another great player. McCabe is clearly better than Georges, and you let them figure it out together. So I think that's the next logical move to make to let Ristolainen's play go to the next level. I think you will see that. You, you pair him with somebody better, I think he will play better. It's it's not a it's not a huge logical leap to say that. I don't think I'm making any grand assumption. Uh, so that's what I want to see next. And I like overall what I've seen out of McCabe thus far this year. And I think there were two... There were two camps among Sabres fans about McCabe. I think he's pretty polarizing. He doesn't get talked talked about much in the national media or anything, but I think he was one of the most polarizing players on this team, maybe besides Evander Kane. But a lot of people said McCabe is a top-four defenseman. We saw far more good than bad last year from him. He did far better than expected, having been thrust into a top-four role virtually all of last year without really being ready for it and kind of figuring out on the fly. Uh, and then there's another camp that I think the really rough stretches that McCabe and Bogosian had together, which they did have their rough stretches, and I criticized them on this podcast heavily last year, but I think those stick out more in those people's mind. And I don't really know where I fit on that spectrum. I, I fit probably closer to the McCabe is close to a top four defenseman, but I wasn't all the way there yet. You know, I wasn't 100% sold that it would happen this year at the least. I was pretty convinced that he would be a top four defenseman, but I wasn't sure if it was going to happen this year or not. Um, but really how you felt about McCabe then influenced, okay, how important do you think it is to go out and make a deal for Cam Fowler or go out and make a deal for another top four lefty? Yes, they brought in Kulikov, but a lot of people were clamoring for another one. And I think if the right deal comes along, obviously you would jump on it. But seeing McCabe continue to emerge as a top four defenseman I think it makes a trade like that less important and it means you don't need to overpay to fill that perceived need and I think now with the way that the Sabres Sabres have spent a lot of their assets and yes they do still have quite a few picks coming up in the 2017 draft so they could conceivably do something with with picks but the prospect pool is pretty thin Uh, you have a handful of players with some value but they really need to depend on those players to emerge in order to be cheap players when, when they do eventually have to pay Eichel and Reinhardt and when the cap becomes really tight. I mean, it was tight this year, but this is nothing compared to what it's going to be like in two off-seasons when all of a sudden Jack Eichel's going to have to get paid $8 million a year and Sam Reinhardt has got to get paid six. I mean, that squeezes finances far more. It's going to be really important to have Alex Nylander coming in on an entry-level deal. 
and to have some of these guys like Fashing and, and Bailey and Baptiste on relatively cheap second or third contracts after becoming restricted free agents, uh, it becomes super important at that point. So I don't think they can really trade a ton in terms of what's in the system. And then I don't know how much value you have in players at the at the NHL level. Zemgis Gergensens has continued to look kind of lost in the offensive zone. He brings a lot of good things to the table, but I don't I don't know if he's ever going to live up to the offensive promise that a lot of people thought that he had when he was playing number one center minutes under the Ted Nolan Sabres. Uh, I don't know if he's ever going to live up to what people expected of him coming out of out of those years. Uh, so I don't know how much value he has around the league. Uh, and other guys are going to be very important. You know, Johan Larson now, he looks like he may be almost a core piece. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him a core piece, but he's starting to look like he might be that, that third-line center that you rely on. He might be somebody that's worth paying and holding on to long-term. But who do you really have that has value that you can sacrifice in a trade to bring in that top four left-handed defenseman? There's not much out there in this organization that you can that you can do that with. Uh, so seeing Jake McCabe emerge has been great, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he becomes. I think he is extremely important because you, you don't want to sacrifice the 2017 first-round pick in a deal for a defenseman if you can possibly avoid it. That player coming in on an entry-level deal, and that, ver- that player may very well be a defenseman. I mean, who knows where the Sabres are going to end up picking, but these picks become very valuable now. And I know a lot of people are talking about, okay, eventually the cap's going to get tighter because of the players we have to pay, but it's it's going to be difficult when you've already got Rasmus Ristolainen, Ryan O'Reilly, Kylo Poso locked up, and then you're going to have to pay Eichel and Reinhardt big money to stay. Evander Kane probably will be a casualty. And they're going to have to make some tough choices. So it's going to be even more important to have these cost-controlled young players able to come in and fill roles pretty cheaply. And how do you do that? You do that primarily by drafting well and drafting players that will be able to fill those roles at the NHL level. Uh, And then the last player I'll talk about is Robin Leonard. And I think he's been a mixed bag thus far. He performed pretty well in Winnipeg on Sunday yesterday but overall I think he has underwhelmed and I expected more out of him to start the season so I discussed in my preseason podcast about how this is a big year for Leonard can he you know can he prove that he's a a competent number one goaltender I would say the jury's still out but I'm gradually starting to lean to the side that he isn't he isn't going to be at least a a top flight or above, even above average number one goalie. And it's very difficult to justify locking up somebody that's not a higher level goalie to a long-term deal in today's NHL. Especially, I know I keep harping on this, but especially with the way the Sabres cap structure looks like it's going to be, I think they're going to have to sacrifice dollars in goal in order to pay the type of money up front that they're going to have to, to their four big forwards once they have to pay Eichel and Reinhardt. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Leonard. First of all, what his price will be. I think goalies, their, their prices 
gradually coming down because I think more play, more GMs and more organizations are starting to realize that it's not a great strategy to lock up a lot of money and goal. It's much more important to have your pieces in place up front and it's more likely that goaltender can kind of figure can figure itself out. You can go out and find a Devin Dubnik or something uh, to, to fill that role. And a lot of teams have stumbled upon high-level goaltenders as well. Now, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's easy because a lot of organizations have struggled to find competent play in goal for a long time. But it's if you're looking at it relative, it it's much easier to go out and to find a competent goaltender than it is to go out and find a competent top six center or a competent top four defenseman. Those players are at such a premium now, and they're going to be at even more of a premium once Las Vegas comes in. And now there's a whole other NHL team to fill, a whole other team to bid up the prices for those top six centers and top six forwards and those top four defensemen. Uh, so I'm not sold on Leonard. I think ultimately once his price is bid up beyond the, the price of an average NHL goaltender, which va- may very well be this offseason, I think they should look at other options. Look at what you can get for him in a trade, see what's out there in the free agent market, and maybe bring in a couple guys to have a 1A, 1B type of situation that are cheaper than what Leonard and you know a league minimum backup may make. Uh, but I hope I'm wrong on that. He's a very streaky goaltender, so it's very possible that he could just go on a on a huge run and have a 940 save percentage over the next month, and I could be singing a different tune because that is what he's done throughout his career. Had stretches of tremendous play and stretches of poor play. Uh, beyond that, I think that'll do it for me tonight. Sabers play tomorrow night in Minnesota. And uh, they can hopefully get some revenge on the Wild. The Wild really handled them last time they played, handled them in Buffalo. So it's a chance for hopefully Buffalo to come in and spoil a home game for Minnesota. And it'll be a good test. I think Minnesota is shorthanded right now. I think I talk about them being stuck in purgatory where I don't think they're good enough to really compete for Stanley Cup. They don't really have the horses up front to do it. I do like on defense a lot what they've done, the the crew they have together back there, and then they're good in goal. I mentioned Dubnik before. Uh, but up front, they don't really have that, that high-level center that I think you need to win a Stanley Cup. But uh, Bruce Boudreaux was a great hire, and I think he'll squeeze everything he can out of that, out of that group. Uh, but this is an important game, once again, for them to come in and continue to dig themselves out of that small hole they dug to start the season and to get a three-game winning streak going would be would be really nice so it'll be a good one to watch I'll hopefully have an episode out either after it or maybe the the next day depending on how my schedule goes tomorrow but I appreciate the listen once again I apologize for the decently long hiatus but I should be out and regular regularly able to produce this podcast again and having a nicer mic is is a is a pretty big deal i think the sound quality should be a lot better so thank you and have a great night